Amen. Thank you, Emma. All right, you can be seated. Well, as mentioned, we are in John 10 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. I would also encourage you, if you haven't picked up one of our John journals, I would encourage you to do so. And you can even do that even right now. It's on our Connect table outside. I would encourage you to take one. Begin, begin saturating your life in the gospel of John. Uh, today, we're talking about Jesus being the good shepherd, and to know the good shepherd is to know his voice. And there's no greater way to know the voice of the good shepherd than to open up the Bible and be reminded of where it is that we are to go to find life, whose voice we should be listening to, and what the good shepherd is actually offering me. And so the Gospel of John does just that. Our, our John journals walk through an acronym called READ, where we read, examine, apply, and do, um, really begin to le- uh, live the text. And I would just encourage you to begin reading through the Gospel of John. I know that there are many of us who uh, were just like waiting for inspiration and motivation to begin reading the Bible. And here's what I would tell you. One of the enemy's uh, great schemes is to get you to believe that you need to wait to be motivated or inspired to begin reading the word. Here's what I tell you. Uh, don't shy away. You, you won't begin feeling like you should read the word of God until you start reading the word of God. And so open up the word of God, begin hearing the voice of God the Father who is our good shepherd who is leading you. And uh, these are available. They will uh, be a great guide to you if you will use them. The other thing I would tell you, there's Bibles out on our Connect table. If you don't have one, please take one of those as our gift to you. Um, We've been walking through the gospel of John together, and we find ourselves in John chapter 10 this morning. Uh, This is a passage that many of us are are familiar with, uh, but again, context is everything. We, we talk about this a lot at Church of the Valley. If you're here, it's very important for us to not take a passage out of its context and just, you know, uh, uh, kind of apply it to the room. It's important for us to go back and understand the audience in which it was first spoken to, uh, the context it was spoken to, the time frame it was spoken to, the, and, and ultimately then we can begin to apply his word. And so we, we have to, to, to begin with context to have some uh, appropriate application to our lives. A lot of times when we read John 10, uh, it can cause us to feel warm and fuzzy inside because we see that God is, uh, that, that Jesus is our good shepherd. And Jesus is our good shepherd, and that should make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. There's a whole psalm, Psalm 23 that talks about him being our shepherd, that guides us, that leads us by streams of still waters, that leads us to green pastures, and what a gift. That is not what John chapter 10 is about. John chapter 10 is challenging the leadership of the Pharisees. Ultimately, what we see in John chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's challenging the other shepherds, the bad shepherds, the the leadership of the Pharisees, and comparison to him being the good shepherd. And, and so it's important that we kind of, we, we look at the context of this passage because this passage isn't so much describing to us who Jesus is, but it's contrasting his nature, his character to the nature and character of the bad shepherds of Israel. Now, 
it's important for us to know whenever God is revealing something about his nature, it always comes with an invitation to know him in that way. And so when we see this, although he's comparing and contrasting his uh, shepherding to the bad shepherds of Israel, ultimately we are, we are seeing, seeing Jesus in a different light and we're invited to know him in that light. And so uh, in, in ways that we can encounter him. So let me, I want to I kind of set some framework as we begin a little bit about the context here. So we do not see a different audience from John chapter 9 to John chapter 10. And so the same audience where Jesus came, he healed a blind man, uh, and this man, he was brought before three different audiences. He was brought before his neighbors. He was brought before the Pharisees and leaders. He was brought before his own parents. And then at the very end, we see the Pharisees come back and he has some dialogue. This is a continuation from that story. That's important because this is who he is speaking to. He's speaking, and, and we're going to see in this passage, the, the blind man's going to be referenced again in this passage. This is a continuation, and, and he's speaking here to the Pharisees. That's important because I can't tell you how many times John 10.10 10 has been taken out of context. We read John 10.10, 10 and we say, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and we go, who is the thief? And everyone's like, Satan. And that's not who that passage is talking about. So if you have a coffee mug at home that says thief comes steal, kill and destroy, like, you know, run from Satan. You should run from Satan, but that's not the thief of this passage. The thief in this passage is the religious leaders of that time. The thief who's coming and robbing the, the flock of God is those who call themselves religious people, but they're the Pharisees. And that's important to note. There's also a timestamp in this text. And what I mean by that is we were given a time frame in which this happens. We read down in verse 22 and it says, at the time, this was the feast of dedication was taking place. Now that's important to know, okay? The feast of dedication is the festival of lights or what we may commonly know as Hanukkah. Now, if you don't know the story of Hanukkah and how Hanukkah came to be, ultimately we have to go back to 160 years before Christ, 160 BC, kind of the intertestamental period. And what we find in that time is the Jerusalem temple was taken over by the Greeks, and ultimately the, the, the temple was, uh, became a, a, a place of mixed religious beliefs. And it wasn't until later that it would be rededicated to God, and they would come, and they would find basically one flask of oil, and, and that would be for a day's use, and they used that oil as they rededicated the temple, and it actually burned for eight days, which is why Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days, okay? Now, what's interesting and what typically happens during that time is if, if you were a, a Jewish uh, remember, like you were growing up in the Jewish family during this time frame, and you were to, to celebrate Hanukkah, and you were to celebrate this festival of dedication, of dedicating the temple, there would be a time where you look back at, at the shepherds that were leading within that time frame, and you would begin to ask questions, how did the temple leadership lose its way during this Greek period? 
Who were the shepherds? Where, where are the shepherds? Where were the shepherds? And so there was a lot of conversation typically around this time. And, and many people say that they would read Ezekiel 34 to kind of compare and contrast who are the bad shepherds and who are the good shepherds. Now, if you're not familiar with Ezekiel 34, we're going to go and read that passage here in a few minutes. Uh, but ultimately, it's the question, who is leading? Who was leading to allow such a thing to happen to the temple? Now, we had a Jewish revolt and we had like these, these very zealous Jewish leaders that came and, and kind of took back over. Uh, but what you're going to see is it's going to happen again and the Romans are going to take over. And so ultimately, it's like, how, who, is, who is leading? Who is shepherding? And this was kind of a time frame. And it's in this period, just like we saw when we talk about the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, like Jesus would use use that festival as a way of announcing who he was. And so here we are in the Feast of Dedication talking about bad shepherds and who shepherded during a time where the Jewish temple was taken over and Jesus walks in and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm him. And so again, Jesus is, is painting this picture of, of who he is. And, uh, in comparison to the bad shepherds, okay? Good shepherds, bad shepherds. Ezekiel 34 talks about these shepherds of Israel. I'll read this to you. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter, the you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beast. My sheep were scattered, they wandered all over the, the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search and seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, God, surely because of my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, God, behold, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and I'll put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. 
and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Now, you read in this passage, Jesus, we, we, God describes this idea that there is going to be a shepherd that is going to come, that is going to be the good shepherd that feeds, that leads, that guides, that protects. And what we have when we fast forward to John chapter 10, we see Jesus saying, that's me. I'm that person. And so what Jesus is revealing and what Jesus is inviting us into is ultimately found in John 10.10. And the question for us today is, how do we enter into this life? How do we truly come to see him as our good shepherd? And noticing that there are other shepherds who have postured themselves as shepherds that we should not follow, that we should not recognize their voice. And so we're going to jump into the passage and we're going to talk about, answer this question, how do we enter into the life that Jesus offers us, okay? Verse 1 and 2 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Here's what I want you to see, first of all, and this is the first point. It's another great acronym. I don't know. That's the way my mind thinks, okay? So here you go. It spells out life. Leave all other ways of attempting to get to God. Leave all other ways of attempting to get to God. The critique of the Pharisees that Jesus gives in verse 1 and 2 is they're climbing in by another way. Now, I want you to think about that. What is, rather than entering in through the door, which ultimately Jesus is going to say in verse 7, I am the door, which seems like a unique way to describe himself. But he says, I'm the door. I'm, I'm the way people enter in. But there are barriers that, that God has placed. And there are people attempting to climb in another way. They're trying to, to get to the life that God offers. They're trying to get to the protection that God offers. But ultimately, they're trying to climb in another way. They're coming over barriers. And these people are thieves and robbers. Okay? Now, I want you to think about the Pharisees. What are the ways in which they're trying to get in? Well, it's religion, right? They're using religion as a way to get in. They're using man-made attempts to climb over barriers that God has placed to get to God. And what Jesus is revealing is he's saying there, there, are, there are false ways that you're attempting to find security and peace and rest. They're, you're trying to climb in another way. You're trying to climb through the way of religion. You're trying to use things to get to God. And there's a door. You don't have to attempt to gain access. The access is there. Jesus has provided a way. And so to enter into this life means we need to stop all failed attempts to climb over barriers that God has placed. We need to stop attempting to get to God by other means other than Jesus. We're going to talk about this some more. This is the leadership challenge. This is the challenge he's, he's given to the Pharisees. And ultimately, it says in verse 6, they didn't understand what he was talking about. Jesus was speaking in parable form. 
But I, I just wonder, like, when we look at the lives of the Pharisees, how often the Pharisees, they would add extra commands. There were, they, they, they ultimately had, like, bonus rules, right? Like, you, if you do this, this will earn approval by God. If you do these things, this is how you get to God. And so we see all, as we've been walking through the gospel of John, we saw like how many rules were around the Sabbath and Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And, and they, they, they would look at that as, as, as a means to attempt to criticize Jesus. And he's telling the Pharisees in this passage, you are robber. You're trying to steal people from the flock of God by telling them there's other ways. And he's saying, there is a door. And Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. And what's interesting is the Pharisees believed themselves to be the door. The Pharisees saw them as like the gatekeepers. They were the ones who you would have to come to and approach and, and posture yourself in a certain way uh, that, that they would give you access in many ways. They were the, the judge. They were the ones who would critique whether a person could enter or not. And Jesus ultimately tells them, you are keeping people out of the kingdom of God. You're keeping people from experiencing the life that God offers. And here's what I would tell you this morning. This is all that religion can offer. Bad shepherds, illegitimate shepherds, all it can lead is no access. Religion doesn't gain us access into life. The gospel message is there is a way. And it doesn't come through your attempts or your religious activity. There is away. And here's what I would say is we want to be a church that shows people there is a way. We want to, to be a church that tells people that life is found when you leave all other attempts to get to God and enter through the door that is Jesus. We want to tell people you don't have to climb over barriers to, to, to get to God. There are no barriers that get to God through Jesus. He is available. The curtain was torn. Through the death of Jesus, God was made available. Life was made available to us. Jesus is saying there's a, a door into the kingdom. Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. There is a door. There's, there's access. And what Jesus is offering us in this passage is an amazing invitation to know him as the door. Some translations say they, that he is the, the gate. I want you to think about for a second, what in the world is the big deal about a door? Of all things Jesus describes himself, this is probably one of the most unique, right? Jesus is the door. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the door. I'm the gate. And, and ultimately, you, you have to understand the context. Like most of us in here don't have a flock of sheep that we're um, literally, we Many of us do have a flock of sheep that we're trying to shepherd. We'll get to that in a second because we can be bad shepherds. And there's good shepherds. But ultimately, we don't have little woolly lambs in our backyard that we're trying to care for and protect from the mountain lions that are coming out of the mountains, right? 
And so it's important that in the desert at night, there would be a pen that you would gather these sheep and they were often herded together and they would kind of back them up against a, a wall in the canyon and they would enclose them. And then many times there would, there would either be a gate or that shepherd would be the gate. And that shepherd would basically lie in the entrance that would ultimately say, no, no one's getting in here, but through me. And what Jesus is saying, like, not only is that a place of protection, but that's a place of invitation and going, you come, you enter in through me. And so for Jesus to be the door, this is good news. There is a door into life. Many of us are looking for life and there is a door into life and it's through Jesus, through Jesus. Jesus has made a way. And ultimately we see in this passage over the course of John 10, five times we're gonna say, I lay down my life, 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 I lay down my life. Like he, this is significant. He is laying down his life for the sheep. And this is going to be the way in which we enter. Several years ago, I was walking through the story of God with a friend. And uh, in, in that time frame, we talked about Adam and Eve and where sin entered the world in, uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world and they're banned from the garden. It says that an angel and a flaming sword guarded the tree of life. And I remember just right there in that moment, my friend looked at me and was like, well, how are they going to get back? How do they get back to the garden? And if you don't know the full story, like that's where the Bible, the Bible starts and ends with this garden life creation of, of experiencing and encountering God. And we go, well, how do we get back there? How do we, we get there? Well, Jesus tells us so. How is it that we're going to be made reconciled to God? How is it that we're going to step in and experience this life? And Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down my life. And what's interesting about this and what's unique and what we're going to cover next week on Easter Sunday is, is that anyone can lay down their life, but Jesus is going to take it back up again. That's what makes it unique. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. See, Jesus is saying there is a way. We weren't born into the kingdom of God. We weren't born into this life. In Psalm 51.5, it says we were born forth in iniquity. And so there's a separation. And so it's like, how do we step in? We haven't always been a Christian. We don't become a Christian by going to church. You don't become a Christian because your parents were Christians. You have to walk through the gate. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. To become part of his flock, you have to access the door. You come through the door. If you come to my house, you got to come through the door. If you come through the window, something might happen to you. Okay? You want to come? You want to visit? Come through the door. There's a door. Anybody else who comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. And here, Jesus is saying, there's a way. You don't have to climb over barriers. There's access to God. And so we need to lead people to the door. People don't know there is a door. People don't know that there is a way. And it's not through good works or gaining the approval of God that he grants you access. It's only by the blood of Jesus laying down his life, granting us access. 
We read on in verse three through five, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Here's the second point I want you to see. Ignore all other voices, but the good shepherd, I. Ignore all other voices but the good shepherd. Jesus is inviting us to know his voice. Uh, we don't live in a, uh, in a desert, so we don't necessarily understand uh, the, the treacherous like, livelihood of trying to survive in a desert. And, but there are, we live in a culture and we live in a society that there, it is a treacherous place. And there are many voices that are calling our name. And ultimately, in the moral chaos of our world, whose voice, who's the shepherd we're listening to? Now, this is key, folks. Um, when, I, when I think about this, I, I go, this is extremely, extremely, extremely important. Who is shepherding you? Who, whose voice are you listening to? And then I, I go, he's criticizing the shepherds of Israel. And I have to ask myself the question. I'm like, how, how do I be a good shepherd? How do I not become a barrier to the good shepherd? How do I point people to the true good shepherd? And ultimately what John 10 should cause in us, it should cause us to, to be in a posture of being critical of shepherds and leaders. But here's what I would tell you this morning. The answer to bad leadership is not no leadership, right? The answer to bad leadership is not no leadership. It's to find good leadership, to find the good shepherd. And so how do I find and discover good shepherds? Well, it's through the voice. Does, does their voice sound like the voice of the good shepherd? And you should critique. You should critique pastors, deacons, shepherds. There, there should be a sense as a parent, I'm a shepherd and deacon. As a brother in Christ, I'm shepherding other brothers in Christ. And like, there should be a, a critical eye and going, does this sound like the good shepherd? Does this sound? The only way you recognize that is if you know the voice of the good shepherd. If you know the voice of Jesus. I had a friend, his name was Randy Sheets. Uh, he pastored in Tacoma, Washington for several years. And Amber and I went and we visited Randy one time. And uh, I remember we were in the kitchen and we were making dinner. And I looked out and Randy was standing outside watering his grass. And he was holding a book. And I couldn't really tell what the book was. But I thought it was really strange. You're watering your grass reading a book. Um, I personally... I read for information. I don't read for fun. Some people love to read for fun. And it's like an enjoyable activity, right? And so I'm going, he must really love reading. He's watering his grass, reading a book. I'm like, dude, just enjoy watering your grass. Like, put the book down. So I was curious. He comes in the house and I go, hey, uh, like, what, what, were you, what, are you, what are you reading out there? And he's like, I'm reading the Bible. And I'm like, seems like more convenient places to, to read your Bible, right? Like, thought about waking up in the morning, having coffee, sitting in your favorite chair, like sitting at the dining table, watering your grass, reading the Bible. 
And so I, I just began to, to be uh, very curious and continue to ask questions. I said, hey, man, um, like, what, what, what books are you reading? Like, he's like, honestly, like, I'm in a season where I'm not reading any books. He had just stepped into the role of pastoral ministry, somebody who had been discipled in that church for a long time and been poured into. He just stepped into a role uh, being a pastor of that church. And, uh, and he said, I honestly have avoided all other, vo- all other books, and I'm really just trying to discern the voice of the Lord. And I'm like, okay. Um, so like, no, no other resources, no. And he's like, no. And I was like, well, that's kind of scary. I remember calling him about two years later. And, and I just said, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just two years into my ministry here in Salt Lake City. And I'm preparing for sermons and I'm teaching. And, I'm, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of resources that can be helpful to you when you prepare and teach a sermon. And, you know, a lot of resources and, uh, but I've always been drawn, like, you just really want to discern the voice of the Lord and hear from the Lord and, and know his voice. And to the point that you would go, like, you're reading the Bible, watering your grass. You want to know his voice so well that you want to be able to discern it from all other competing voices that are out there. And so I said, um, you know, like, if I were to just attempt that this week, and this is just my own like honest conversation with him, I'm like, I'm just going to hear the voice of the Lord. I'm not going to read commentaries. I'm not going to learn from other pastors. I'm, not, I'm just going to discern the voice of the Lord. Um, I might not come into the teaching time this Sunday with much to offer. And he's like, oh, you, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. The Lord loves to speak. You got to discern his voice though. And can you hear his voice amongst all the other competing voices? I have to tell you, this was so encouraging to me and honestly made teaching the Bible come to life. Because I'm not just always combing through and I do use other resources and I do use other, but how do we start with the word of God and hear the voice of God speaking to us do we recognize his voice? Do we hear him? And the question is, is does our voice and what we teach, and as those who should be critics, maybe don't call me this week and critique, but you should be critics, and, and go like, does his voice sound like the good shepherd? Does it sound like Jesus? I read this and I thought this was tragic. When people are in crisis, when they're surrounded by the dangers of the desert, they will turn to any shepherd offering a way out. Any shepherd. Church family, that scares me. When I read this passage and I go, how familiar are we with the voice of God? The voice of the good shepherd. How familiar are we? Because there are many voices offering a shortcut or a way out. But there is one voice that leads to life. My job as an under shepherd is to point people to the true shepherd who can genuinely lead them out of the desert. Do you know his voice? Do you hear his voice? I've found this illustration. Uh, 
I've been looking for it for a while, and I actually found it this morning. Um, it says this, during the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying its taxes, which the village claimed uh, simply financed their occupation. The officer in command rounded up all the village animals and placed them in a large barbed wire pen. And later that week, he was approached by a woman who begged him to release her flock, arguing that since her husband was dead, the animals were her only source of livelihood. He pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and humorously quipped that it was impossible because he could not find her animals. She asked that if she could in fact separate them herself, would he be willing to let her take them? And he agreed. A soldier opened the gate and a woman's son produced a small reed flute he played a simple tune again and again, and soon sheep heads began popping up across the pen, and the young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by his flock of 25 sheep. Now, this is awesome, right? Young sheep, sheep herder boy plays his reed, plays his flute, and they're like, hey, that's our song. Let's get out of here, Right? The sheep recognize his voice. The sheep hear his voice and they follow him. The wrong voice is described as that of a robber, a thief, a stranger. Now, I know that you, many of you, weren't around in this time. Some of you were. But there used to be a time where you would pick up the phone and you wouldn't know who was on the other end. Okay? Right? Like, you have a phone and it's like, Justin Bindle's calling you. And you're like, decline. Right? There was a time where you didn't know, and you would always pick up the phone, and you would be like, hello, hey, and they would start talking, and you would have to recognize their voice, right? Like, and, and many times you would. You would say, oh, hey, Bob, how are you? Good to hear from you. And, and that was a way in which, like you called, the question is, is like, how do you get to a place of recognizing the voice, so that you know who it is that you are to follow. It's through spending time. Have you spent enough time with the good shepherd to know his voice? Have you spent enough time with him to recognize his voice? This is the voice. The word of God speaks to us. The word of God declares to us truth. It is living inactive. The question is, is what voices are you following? You may say, God is not speaking. He's voiceless. When's the last time we opened the word of God? God is speaking. He's declaring. John 10, four through five. When he brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Here's F, follow the good shepherd. You can hear his voice, but do you do what his voice is calling you to do? Our family uh, just the other night went and saw the movie, His Only Son, about the life of Abraham and sacrificing Isaac. And there's a, there's a, a vivid scene of just, it really just comes to life of how hard it was to follow the commands of God, to sacrifice your son. And what it's depicted there is Sarah, Abraham's wife, 
is like, why do you have to go? Why do you have to leave? Why do you have to, 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 to go and make a sacrifice? And he's just, we have to obey the commands of God. It's not enough to just hear his words. It's not enough to just hear his voice. We have to follow his voice. We have to let him lead us. And so Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to walk through the door. Now, I've shared this illustration before, but it's a common one, and it trips me up every time I visit. We have a lot of ministry events that we attend in San Diego, and there's a brewery there called Stone Brewing, okay? Now, when you walk in the restroom, you go into the restroom, you go around the corner, you use the restroom, you come back, and it looks like you're looking into a mirror, when in reality, you're looking into the women's restroom, Okay. Now, if you don't know this, it can be quite confusing. You will be standing there washing your hands and you'll look up and there will be a woman standing in front of you. And you're like, this is awkward. Anybody ever been to Stone Brewing and seen this? A few of you. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. If you use the restroom, you're like, I walked in the wrong door. You're thinking you're in the wrong restroom, right? Like you, you're standing there and, and you're so confused. And it's because the back of the, the, where you wash your hands is only about waist high and it looks over into where the other gender is using the restroom and washing their hands. So it's confusing in the sense of going, I think I'm in the wrong bathroom, which if you've ever walked in the wrong bathroom, that's embarrassing, right? You're, you're, you're looking at this and you're going, it might be humorous, might not be too life-altering. Jesus is going to tell us if we walk in the, the wrong door, there's many doors in this life. And there's many voices who are trying to detract us and tell us, come, follow. If we walk in the wrong door, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. Life is filled with many doors. We're asking the question, what door do I walk through? What voices do I listen to? And ultimately, what we're going to see in this passage is in Matthew chapter, or, or in another passage, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. There's many people on that path. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Which path are you on? Who are you following? Who's the voice that you're listening to? Which doors are you walking into looking for life? Not only are you hearing the Lord, are you following the Lord? Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's the thing. Both of them communicated. They both heard the voice of the Lord. One put it into practice. One didn't. Not only do you hear the voice, but do you obey the voice? Do you follow the voice? So how do I know which voice? Jesus is offering us the gate to abundant life. You may ask yourself, like, how do I know I went in the wrong door? How do I know if I'm in the women's restroom, right? How do I know I went in the wrong door? Well, 
Is the life that you're currently living one that is full of stress and anxiety and fear? Then we haven't followed his voice into life. Not to say that there won't be a life full of anxiety and fear and stress, but if the characteristics of our life, if there's not a covering, if there's not a place to go to, to ultimately see and look that there is someone sitting at the gate of my life, that there is nothing that enters into my life or comes out of my life that is not protected by the hands of God. It's ultimately this, this scene of going like, our life dictates and, under, and helps us understand like, which door did I enter in? We, we drew some diagrams last week and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And, and we saw a description of going, I entered into the wrong door. I have been following the wrong voices leading into this kingdom of darkness full of destruction. But Jesus has come to invite us into life. And so that's the last thing, enter into life. Enter into life. John 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And again, 10, he's speaking about the Pharisees. He's speaking about the bad shepherds. Here's what Jesus is inviting us into, rest and security. If you're here today and you go, I don't want to be alone. You know what, sheep? Sheep don't have any defense mechanism. You know, they're just gonna run into you with their head. Like they they have no way of protecting themselves. They have no way to fight. A gate provides protection. There is a fenced-in area that, that he says to come into and, and a gate provides that protection. The gate is locked. It means stay out. There's no access. And the only way to access that and to access the sheep is through Jesus. And so a, a, gate, a gate provides a place with the sheep, with your people. When danger is lurking, sheep are together in safety. Outside of this, you're vulnerable. I, I saw a picture this morning, and uh, it was a picture up at one of the ski resorts. And it's a, you won't be able to see this, but I'm going to describe it to you. It's a picture of a glass door that is fully covered in snow. And on the door, it says, attention, you're entering an outdoor area where hazards exist. And you can't even exit the door. And I found that interesting in light of this idea of Jesus being the gate. And there's a place of life and protection and a sense of security. And outside of following his voice and obeying his voice. And that we're entering into territory where hazards exist. We're entering into territory where, where we are going to be very vulnerable. And our life is surrounded with all of these dangers. And the question is, is how do we live in the midst of that? And what I would encourage you to do is, is to every single day, 
I need to come to the gate and recognize that there's a gatekeeper. Every single day, I need to recognize that there is a barrier. It protects what is important. My kids love to leave stuff out in the yard. The other day, we had a bike just sitting in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And I'm like, guys, you got to put up the bike, right? Like, when things that, of mat, that matter, that are significant of value, we protect them. And this is how the good shepherd has protected us. We are valuable to God our Father. And when we live in this place of protection and security, we have the ability to rest. When we know that there is a gatekeeper who is working for our good, we have the ability to rest. When our life is full of anxiety, we're failing to recognize who sits at the gate of my life. Everything that has come upon me, God has allowed. Nothing has passed through that hasn't gone through him or that he believes is for my good and for my flourishing and for my growth. So we ask the question, am I secure? Am I protected? Who sits at the gate of your life? Who's the gatekeeper? There's a great book uh, Amber has been reading with our kiddos called Little Pilgrim's Progress. If you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, this is like the kid's version of it. Anyways, there's a, uh, there's a great story in here that I want to read to us in closing. And uh, where Christian, see a little rabbit? Christian, the, yeah, we got some people reading it. Christian, the, the little rabbit is on a journey. He, he's on a journey to the celestial city, the place of uh, the place of God. And on this journey, he's looking for places of security and places of peace. And it says, the two pilgrims were obliged to travel very slowly that day on account of Christian's weakness. Where shall we sleep, said Hopeful. You cannot walk all night and it will not be safe to lie down by the wayside. Perhaps there is another house like the palace beautiful, replied Christian. I was happy there. You cannot think how kind discretion and her daughters were to me. Then Hopeful began to ask questions about them, and Christian tried to tell him of all that he had seen and heard at the palace. But the little pilgrim's strength was failing after a day's journey. He soon became too tired to speak and could scarcely walk, even with the help of Hopeful. Hopeful was kind and gentle and did all he could to cheer his weary little companion. But he began to feel anxious when he saw that Christian's face was growing paler and paler every minute. If we could only find a place to rest in, he thought. And as the evening shadows closed round the pathway, he strained his eyes eagerly in hope of seeing something in the distant light, which would tell them that they were coming near to a house where they may stay until the morning. But no light appeared. And presently the night came on, and still the little pilgrims crept slowly along, for Christian would not be persuaded to lie down upon the grass, although Hopeful promised to watch carefully by his side. We will go on, he said. I don't think the king will forget us. He knows how tired we are, and he will be sure to give us rest soon. And now the stars begin to twinkle in the dark sky, and the moon rose over the hills and shed her pure soft light upon the way of the king. As Hopeful looked forward, he saw that the pathway was widening and that a broad river was flowing in the distance. We're coming to a beautiful country, he exclaimed. Look, Christian, the river is close to the wayside and the path must lead through that meadow, which is all fenced in and safe. 
Christian looked and the sight of the river and the hope of the resting revived him a little. In a short time, they reached the brink of the water and found that Hopeful was right. The, the way of the king ran close to the river, which was called the river of life, and the ground on both sides of it was protected by strong fences, forming a beautiful meadow cover, covered with soft grass and flowers and shaded by tall spreading trees under whose bows the king's pilgrim might rest safely and have no fear of enemies. And so we're, we're given this picture. A lot of us, we don't like boundaries, right? We don't like fences. We don't like People to tell us like, hey, you got to stay, you know, if, if we put boundaries, particularly with my kids, I'm like, hey, don't go beyond the streetlight. They're going to be on the other side of the streetlight, right? We, we all want to test our limits. But God has given us boundaries. God has given us his word, his truth, and he's given us boundaries in which to live and to be under his guidance, his protection, a place where flourishing can ultimately happen. C.S. Lewis says, a good gate liber liberates us and sets us free. Boundaries of freedom. He doesn't want to restrict us. He wants to give us freedom. The gate is open to outsiders. He, he opens it and invites people to come in. If you're here and you're like, hey, I want to be included. I want to be inside that place of protection. I want to be in a place of rest, of security. This is experienced in following the voice, leaving all other ways, ignoring all other voices, following the voice of the good shepherd and entering in. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. And I want to just ask you three questions this morning for you to process in the next few moments. Where are you looking to find life? Where are you looking to find life? What is your way of escape? What is your, your place of refuge? What is the place of security? What it, who, whose voice, second question, whose voice are you listening to? Do you recognize the voice of the good shepherd? Has your time with the good shepherd been so frequent that you know what he sounds like? And lastly, do you see Jesus as the door? That Jesus is the way? And do you see that there's an invitation for all of us to enter in? He puts these Barriers around us as a way of protection, not to keep people who are willingly seeking him out. And so if you're here this morning and you go, I want to enter into life. I want to experience life. Following all other voices, following all other shepherds, ultimately leads to death. They're out to rob you. Jesus comes to offer you life. And all you have to do is hear his voice, follow him, and enter in. So this morning, what is the voice of the Lord telling you? And I would just have you bow your head and close your eyes for just a few moments. And I do this just to help us think, to take away all distractions, to take away any sense of moving in the room. And I just want you to pause for a moment. 
You know, what, what is the Lord inviting you into this morning? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whose voice is so strong? Maybe it's the voice of accusation. Maybe it's the voice of shame and guilt. And that's not the voice of our good shepherd. The good shepherd says, enter into rest. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Enter into life. Father, we pray this morning that we would recognize your voice. Father, we pray this morning that we would follow your voice. We wouldn't only just hear it, but we would obey it. We would listen to it. We would follow it. And Lord, we want to enter in. We want to enter into a place of security. Our lives are riddled with pain, anxiety, and suffering. And there's just a place of security of knowing that anything that you've let in, you've let in for my good, for my flourishing, for my growth. It doesn't mean that my life will be pain-free. But Lord, you're doing that to produce something good in me. So Lord, may we recognize you this morning as the gatekeeper. Lord, may I, may I enter into safety and rest so I can know that you sit at the gate of my life. And Lord, I pray for my friends in this room this morning who may not have ever entered in through the door, the way of Jesus, entered in through Jesus, have put their faith in Jesus that they would do so this morning. Father, I pray that you would move in our, our time of response this morning, that in this time we would be encouraged, that maybe some of us would step into Jesus, enter into Jesus this morning. Lord, we pray and ask this in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to invite-